Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Good morning. I won't get as technical as Andrew did. Uh, we Australians like to dumb things down, so afternoon becomes avo and avocado becomes avo and so on. So hopefully I'll be nice and simple. Um, what, am I, what am I doing giving a talk like this? Uh, I'm not a molecular biologist. Uh, I did have a background in physics teaching, uh, and more recently um, as, a, as a pastor and a gospel worker and have worked with uni students uh, for a long time, and so had lots of discussions with sort of atheists, uh, discussion groups actually deliberately designed to attract atheists actually. Um, and so I've done a lot of thinking and reading, doesn't make me an expert, but on, on the, the intersection between those two, um, does science disprove God? As a science lover, I want to take evidence seriously. As a Bible lover, I want to take the Bible seriously. How do these two intersect? Do they intersect? Uh, I'll give you a quote from a, a French atheist called Michael Onfray. He says this, God puts to death everything that stands up to him, beginning with reason, intelligence, and a critical mind. What do you think about that? Is that true? When you become a Christian... Do you have to leave your brain at the door? Do you have to leave reason behind? Do you have to leave evidence behind? Take a blind leap into the sort of chasm of, of trust, faith, without any kind of evidence. What we believe needs to be intellectually credible, doesn't it? We need to use our minds. We, we have reason and we need to use it. Logic and reason are good and important things. So how intellectually credible is Christianity? Does it stand up? Obviously, if you're a Christian, you believe that God created reason and he is a God of reason and a God of intelligence. And so therefore, intelligence and, and reason are good things. And science is a beautiful thing. Uh, years and years ago, uh, when I was an early teacher, I would stand up on this hill in a place called Cooktown where Captain Cook crashed his boat uh, in northern, northeastern Australia. And he spent, that's the hill that called Grassy Hill, where he, he would climb up and look out of his telescope and plot a course through the reef to get out again while the ship was being fixed. And I used to stand up there in the middle of the night with my friend and we'd look at the stars and uh, we'd learn all the constellations and we'd look at the galaxies and the globular clusters and the beauty of those things is a wonderful thing. Science is beautiful. We can, we can understand the universe in greater depth, as Andrew said. But is it compatible with Christianity? Regardless of what we believe, we need to be convinced about the evidence. So I want to ask you a question. The things you believe, what's the basis for those things? Do you believe what you believe, whether you're an atheist or a Christian or whatever? Do you believe those things because you were told? Because you've looked into it and you find there's a good basis for it? Or because you want to believe those things? Or some other reason? What's the reason you believe the things you do? It's a really important question. And I want to suggest today that there is a very good, reasonable basis for believing in God from science. Has science disproved God? Here are four common arguments. We're going to look at these. Okay? Four common arguments used by people to suggest that science disproves God. So here they are. God of the gaps... The folly of faith, the evolution, extermination, and the myth of miracles. Okay, trying to be catchy here. So God of the gaps, that God isn't necessary, 
that science has shown us that we don't need uh, to believe in God, that the evidence for science has ruled him out. The folly of faith, that science is based on evidence, faith is based on uh, not on evidence, therefore faith is, isn't logical. Evolution, extermination, Andrew mentioned this briefly, the idea that evolution rules out the existence of God, that we don't need God. It's similar to the first one. We don't need God to explain the existence of life. We've got another mechanism that explains it. And the fourth one, the myth of miracles, that miracles violate the laws of nature. and Therefore, uh, we can't believe in anything supernatural. Now, we're probably going to have time to, uh, to explain, expand on the first two. And uh, that's a hint for you if you want to ask something extra in the Q&A time on the last two. But I think these first two are the most common arguments. First one, God of the gaps. The idea here is that the ancients, when they saw things they couldn't explain, they attributed it, they attributed it to God. So they saw the, the lightning strike and they said, well, the gods must be angry. Or they, they got a good harvest of crops. They couldn't explain why and they assumed that gods, the gods must be happy. The god of uh, you know, the, the wheat must be, a ha- must be happy with us. And so they explained everything in terms of this deity. Now, as science, uh, the scientific inquiry has advanced, we can explain all these things in other ways. So we know that the lightning is just a discharge of static electricity. We know that the crops are dependent on the soil and the rain uh, and the sunshine and all these different conditions. We can explain these things in natural terms and therefore we don't need God to explain these things anymore. Uh, We've ruled them out. And so Lawrence Krauss, he's a guy, he's a, a physicist from Arizona University, a famous atheist, travels the world talking about this and he uses this argument all the time. And he says, We've, science has disproved all these other religions um, and it'll disprove, it disproves, surely it has to disprove the God of Christianity too. We might as well believe in a flying spaghetti monster. We might as well believe in uh, fairies at the bottom of the garden as believe in this God. And he says this quote, he says, Physicists spend so little time thinking about God, they don't bother worrying about whether they're atheists. God is simply an irrelevance to physicists. Now, I'm glad that physicists can get down to business and talk about physics, but is that an argument against the existence of God? Actually, it's a misunderstanding of the nature of God. What we're talking about here is not a God like Poseidon or Neptune who's contained in the ocean or a God in the trees or in the wheat. We're talking about a God who's created the universe. He's actually not in the universe. He's outside the universe and he's created this universe. So actually, we're not dealing here with a scientific issue but a theological problem, a theological question of what is God like and where do we find him? So the way the Bible describes God, we wouldn't expect to find him as we study science. We'd expect to find evidence of him, but not him. I'll give you a couple of examples. Let's say, back in the day, uh, Henry Ford designed his car, the Model T Ford. Now, let's say that someone discovered one of these vehicles in a shed, never seen a, a car before, and just started examining this machine at first turns on the engine or cranks it or whatever and it gets going, thinks it's some sort of miracle, but as he examines this engine, he learns more and more about it, starts to disassemble it, uh, put it back together, knows exactly how it works. Now you might ask him about it and he says, 
and, and, and you say, you know, Henry Ford made that. Now, you'd be a bit silly if he said, well, I've studied this engine inside out and I couldn't find any evidence of Henry Ford in the engine. Wouldn't really be a good argument, would it? Henry Ford designed the engine, but he's not in the engine to be found. I'll give you another example if you don't like cars, and that's cakes. Now, some of you like the great British Bake Off. Now, Mary Berry makes cakes. Now, someone who's a cake connoisseur could appreciate all of Mary Berry's cakes and actually find some commonalities between them and, and say, oh, that's a Mary Berry kind of a cake. But you can study that cake, you can examine that cake, but you'll never find Mary Berry contained in the cake. Mary Berry did design it. You'll see evidence for her uh, when you look at this cake, but she's not in the cake. And similarly, science helps us explain how the universe works. We can understand how the universe works through science, but actually, and we will see evidence for God and his handiwork in science, but we won't find him personally as we study the universe. Does that make sense? God is outside. There's evidence of him in the universe but we don't actually find him physically in the universe, in the world he's created. And the Bible tells us exactly this. A couple of passages here. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. What may be known about God is plain, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what? has been made. So according to the Bible, it's really obvious that God exists. There's evidence for him all around, and it's plain to see. Psalm 19 says this, first, first, uh, first four verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. So according to Psalm 19, it's actually really obvious uh, that, that the evidence for God is crying out every day in all around us. Day and night, never stops talking about God, that he made the world. And you know, it's not just Christians who believe this. Um, Richard Dawkins himself, famous atheist, he says this. He says, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. So loaded into Richard Dawkins' definition of biology is this obvious appearance of design and purpose, you see? So he sees it. The question is not whether there's evidence for it. The question is, what do we do and how do we interpret that evidence? And actually, Richard Dawkins, at the start of his, uh, one of his debates with John Lennox, a God delusion debate, he said even more than that. He said, when you look out at the universe... You're tempted to worship something. There's a sense of awe. And he said, I feel it. Other scientists, famous scientists have felt it. That when we look out at the universe, we're tempted to worship something. Now, I would suggest that's because God made it. Uh, so the, the issue is, what do we do with the evidence we see? Not whether or not there is evidence. All right, we'll examine more of that evidence shortly. Second one here, the folly of faith. This idea that faith is actually irrational, but science depends on evidence. Science gives us some hard data. We can rely on it. We can trust it. But belief in God depends on faith. Therefore, science is rational. Belief in God is irrational. We can't believe in God. It's delusional. Now, what do you think about that? 
You know, there's a heavy influence from philosophers a couple hundred years ago, like David Hume, these, this movement of philosophers called the skeptics who believe that you can't, you're not, you shouldn't believe anything, you can't prove. And actually, that is a strong belief even today among many scientists, that you can only really believe something if it's proven. I wonder if you think that's true. Maybe you can apply that to it, that, that very statement that I said. It's difficult to prove the very statement, uh, so it's difficult to actually establish. But let's look at a couple quotes here. Richard Dawkins suggests faith is an evil. He says, Faith is an evil precisely because it requires no justification and brooks no argument. Now, Brian Cox is a Manchester uh, lecturer in physics. So our very own Brian Cox, he says this, Science is different to all other systems of thought because you don't need faith in it. You can check that it works. Now, think about those two statements. One says that faith is dependent on no evidence. The other one says science is independent of faith. I'm just going to examine those two ideas. Is faith always not based on evidence? And is science not based on faith? Let's ask those two questions. You know, again, we're not dealing here with an evidential scientific question so much as a philosophical one. What is faith? What is evidence? So let's think about those two things. You know, blind faith is a problem. Let's just clarify that straight away, is that blind faith is a problem. Believing anything blindly, just because you're told, is a problem. doesn't matter what you believe, that's true. But there is a certain kind of a faith based on evidence that we actually exercise every day. Think about it. When you drive across a bridge, you're exercising faith. Faith is trust. When you drive across a bridge, you're exercising faith that that bridge is going to hold you up. Have you actually thought long and hard about what evidence you have uh, for going across that bridge? Maybe you would. Um, if, uh, if you were to rickety old sort of rope bridge, uh, you might really not trust that bridge and want to go across this chasm. What kind of evidence would you depend on? You can't prove that that bridge will hold you up. But maybe if you saw about 10 other people go first, you might feel like you've got sufficient evidence to make a reasonable judgment and go across. So you can't prove but there's evidence that you can go across. I'll give you another example. You deposit your money in a bank. You're exercising faith in the bank that tomorrow morning when you get online and you log in and you look at your bank accounts, it's not going to have a big donut in front of you. That there's, the money is still there. You can't prove that. You can't prove that that money is going to be there, but you have faith that it's going to be there, and that's based on good evidence. Another example might be you place your faith in people every day. Imagine you're lost in the woods and um, you, uh, you don't know where you're going and all of a sudden you encounter someone who looks like a ranger. And um, he says, follow me, I'll show you where the car park is and, and get you out of here. Now, you might, base, you might trust him, you, might have that, you can't prove that he's actually a ranger, but you've got good evidence based on his uniform and whatever else, maybe you don't have good evidence, but you will base it on certain evidence that you can trust him and follow him out. Fourth example, I can't prove to you that my wife loves me. But I have good evidence of it. That's grounded on years of evidence uh, in different ways. Not just that she tells me, but in all kinds of ways that she loves me. I have good evidence even though I can't prove it. So faith, even though you can't prove it in a science lab, it's based on evidence. At least it should be. 
So a couple of quotes here from prominent scientists as well to show that science is also dependent on faith. Science is not immune to the idea of faith, but it rests on all these kind of faith propositions. Give you some examples here. Now I'm quoting, by the way, I'm giving you lots of quotes to show you that uh, a lot of people more, uh, a lot more intelligent than me are saying these things, and are people who actually aren't Christians, a lot of them atheists, but they're saying these things to show that we're not just putting biased uh, you know, belief in front of you, but it's, it's measured. So, Eugene Wigner, this Nobel Prize winner in physics, he says this, the enormous, the enormous usefulness of mathematics in the natural sciences is something bordering on the mysterious, and there is no rational explanation for it. It is an article of faith. So that the fact that the, the, the beauty and the elegance of these mathematical laws, that that is connected to science, we rely on that to, to do our science, that connection, we can't explain why. We just depend on it. It's an exercise of faith in the field of science. Paul Davies says this, he says, the belief that there are indeed dependable regularities of nature is an act of faith, but one which is indispensable to the progress of science. In other words, we can depend on these laws being the same. We know that the sun is going to come up tomorrow, at least we expect it to, to do so, because we believe the law of gravity is going to stay the same. So we, we depend on the fact that these laws are fixed. That is an act of faith. Another one, Einstein himself, when he looks at the universe, he operates out of this belief that the universe is rational and comprehensible, that we can understand it. That's a, an essential part of the scientific enterprise. And he says, I can't imagine a scientist without that profound faith. You see, so faith is based on evidence. Science relies on faith. The two aren't divorced from each other. A quick word about faith where God is concerned. Faith, blind faith is a dangerous problem. But if there's good evidence for God, then it's actually a perfectly rational step to believe in him. So the question is, what is the evidence what evidence do we have to believe in God? I've talked to a lot of atheists, and that's one of the common things I'll hear is, what evidence? I, have, I haven't seen any evidence. We've talked about some already, but we're going to consider a little bit of evidence now, um, apart from the fact that it's, the Bible says it's really obvious. So just zoom in a little bit, and we'll twist it around a bit so that, uh, from a different perspective. But think about evidence. Imagine you're in a courtroom, and you're on a jury, and uh, you're examining evidence for a murder trial. And so evidence is brought before you. There's fingerprints um, on a wine glass. There's a motive. There's a witness testifying to loud noises, an argument, something like this in the house. Uh, there's a weapon. And we put all this together. We, cannot, we can't prove that that event happened. But as we piece together all this evidence, we can conclude beyond a reasonable doubt that something happened. So none of this is hard proof. But let's look at a bit of evidence here. I'm going to twist it around and look at it this way. If I were to become an atheist, there's five things that I'd need to accept. So if you were an atheist and you want to convince me, here's five things that I would need to accept, at least as far as the evidence in science leads us. Uh, here are five things that uh, an atheist needs to accept. The first one is that something comes from nothing. Now, uh, in the 1950s, evidence started coming in for this event in the past uh, called the Big Bang. The evidence is very strong in the science. science uh, whether you believe in a young or an old universe, 
that it exploded from nothing. That before that event, there was no matter, there was no space, there was no time, there was no energy, and all of a sudden it came out and exists, and the universe expands from that one event. So before that, the belief is that there was nothing. Here's a quote by Anthony Kenny, an agnostic. He says this, According to the Big Bang Theory, the whole matter of the universe began to exist at a particular time in the remote past. A proponent of such a theory, at least if he is an atheist, must believe that the matter of the universe came from nothing and by nothing. Now, the idea that something comes from nothing is actually a profoundly unscientific idea. All right, next one. Rationality from irrationality. If we are the product of mindless evolution, whether you're an evolutionist or not, I'm not going to argue for or against that, but if we're the product of purposeless evolution, where God doesn't exist and it all happened just by accident, then our minds and their function happen by accident. And so we can't actually trust them to interpret anything else that we see in the universe. And Charles Darwin himself said this. He said, Can the mind of man, which, as I fully believe, has been developed from a mind as low as that possessed by the lowest animal, be trusted when it draws such grand conclusions? You see? And so actually, where do we get this rationality? And why, is, why does this rationality in the universe exist? Third one, order from chaos. Now, as, a, as a physicist, I really enjoy the laws of nature, I really enjoy the simple and elegant mathematical laws of nature. Isaac Newton appreciated the beauty of nature. He says, whence arises all this beauty and structure? Where does it come from? Why are there laws of nature? And we know that laws come from a lawgiver. So if I'm an atheist, I have to believe that this order arose out of chaos. It just happened that it arose out of disorder. Fourth one, information from a mindless source. Information is an interesting thing, if you think about it. It's actually not a physical thing, is it? When you can be sitting in a room and you can type down an email, and yes, the keyboard's physical, and it's shot through electrical signals and microwave, whatever, across the internet. Someone else reads that on a screen and they write it down or they tell their friend. So that information is transmitted through a lot of different kinds of medium, but actually there's nothing physical about it. Now, we, we know only that information comes from a mind. You think about it, you walk along the beach and you, you come across the word Janet written in the sand. What do you infer from that? You infer that an intelligent agent put it there, a mind wrote that there. It didn't happen just by pebbles sort of rolling on the beach. Information has only ever, as far as we know, come from a mind. And so it's difficult to believe that the information we see in the universe could come from anywhere else. Uh, Richard Dawkins says this, he says, The information found just in the cell nucleus of an amoeba is more than 30 volumes of Encyclopedia Britannica combined. An entire amoeba has as much information in its DNA as a thousand complete sets of Encyclopedia Britannica. This is ordered information. It's not just random stuff. Where did that come from? Whether you believe in evolution or not, where did it come from, this information? Even our minds and the, the ability of them to harness and produce information. Okay, fifth one, life from non-life. Now, I was talking to Andrew about this, and as a biologist, he made me a little bit more tentative to speak into this field. Um, 
But basic biology teaches us that life comes from life. We, scientific understanding has shown us nothing else so far. Living cells, how living cells arose from non-living is still a mystery to scientists. And Francis Crick, who co-discovered DNA, he says this, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle, so many other conditions which would have been required to satisfied for it to get going. And so when you look at those five things, we just put them up there. So you see these, uh, next slide, Dave. So we see... Um, Okay, I didn't put them up there, but think about those five things. <laughs> so we've got life from non-life, something from nothing, rationality from irrationality, information from a mindless source, and order from disorder. Now, the logical thing to do, remember we're in the courtroom again, is we put all that evidence together and we make a reasonable inference to the best explanation. Now, to me, it seems that the best explanation for all those things is a being, is a mind, exists outside the universe and outside of space and time, so we're dealing with a timeless being, a rational and ordered being, puts the information there, who was pre-existent, so there was a something, an eternal being, pre-existent, so there was already a something, something didn't come from nothing. When we put all these things together, uh, it seems to me that the kind of God that's described in the Bible is a very logical inference from all of that scientific data that we have. Now you might disagree with that but it seems to me very reasonable to conclude at least at this present time with our scientific understanding that that's a very reasonable conclusion. So I, I guess my point here is not to prove to you that God exists, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to give you proof, I'm just trying to put the evidence out there and say where does it lead and really that's the question. And I would say to you the real issue here today is not whether or not there's evidence, but in your hearts, what is it that you're willing to do with that evidence? And that's really always in the Bible, um, where, where the Bible takes us, is this is an issue of our hearts. What actually do we worship and what do we love is the critical thing here. I remember teaching a guy called Keith in physics years ago, and he, uh, I, I went then and worked in university ministry, and actually it was about the same time that he... Uh, left high school and came into that same university and so we would meet for lunch every week or two and we would talk over a period of you know many months about all the evidence you know and he asked a lot of questions he was an atheist and uh, we would talk about the evidence and he would keep throwing questions at me and after a long time I said to him Keith I actually think that you believe this stuff and you just keep throwing questions at me because you want to dodge the issue I said, I think you, believe this. you don't believe this because you don't want to. And he said to me, I do agree that the evidence is beyond a reasonable doubt. In fact, he was talking about the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. I do agree that the evidence is beyond a reasonable doubt. And I said, why don't you want to believe it? He said, why don't you believe it? He said, well, I don't really want to. He didn't want to believe it because of the implications it had in his life. And that's the real issue here. What... Are you willing to believe based on the evidence? And are you willing to go where the evidence leads? I'll give you one final thought here. None of the things that I put before you are reasons why I'm a Christian. All those things are not the basis for my faith. If that was the basis for my faith, you could see how it's still a bit tenuous. We can't, it's not clear, is it? The question is, how does God actually reveal himself? How does he reveal himself? 
The Bible says that God doesn't reveal himself in science personally. Yes, we see the evidence for him, but he reveals himself in history. He reveals himself personally in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. And that's where that verse from Hebrews, just put that up, comes from. This idea is that God has not revealed himself in science, but in history. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so in the past, he revealed himself through this spokesman to this nation of Israel. But ultimately, he reveals himself personally through a person, Jesus Christ. So if you're thinking here today, I'm not a Christian, what's the basis, what's the evidence of being a Christian? You can't look at science to give you that definitive evidence. You've got to look at the person and work of this man, this life, death and resurrection of this person, Jesus Christ, and the eyewitness evidence. So just to close, I would, say, I would challenge you to look into the evidence. Have you? Have you looked at the evidence for Jesus' life? If you're a Christian, what are you basing your beliefs on? It's not enough that we just base it on uh, our experience uh, or what people have told us. We need to be robust in our faith, and that actually gives credibility to the Christian faith to others. If you're an atheist, you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to think about the evidence and look into the historical evidence for Jesus Christ. The Bible encourages us to use our minds and to pursue evidence. I'll just close with a couple of verses. John 14, 11, Jesus says, Believe on the evidence. Believe on the evidence of the miracles he's talking about with his disciples. We're encouraged to believe on the evidence. Acts 1, 3, Jesus presented him alive to them after suffering, his suffering by many proofs. It's very reasonable. Don't leave your intelligence at the door and adopt faith. Faith is a very, it's trust. It's a very rational step based on evidence. So that's all I have. There's probably more to talk about. We haven't talked about a couple of those other points, but I'll hand it over to Liz now. I'll just pray first and, and then we'll hand it over to Liz. Heavenly Father, you created this world uh, your evidence, the evidence for your work is all around us. Lord, the beauty of nature, the complexity of life, uh, the wonder of the minds that you've given us and the reason you've given us. Lord, there's so much evidence that you made this world. Your stamp is all over it. Pray, Father, that we would believe based on the truth. Lord, we don't want to believe something that's not true. Uh, we want to believe what's true. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who pursue truth, that we wouldn't live based on what's false. I pray, Father, uh, that we would look at the evidence. I pray, Father, that is anyone here who's unsure, Lord, that they would look at your word more deeply. I pray for those who know you here, uh, that, Lord, they would have their faith strengthened, not be afraid to look at science and consider statements that people make, but... Help us to be people who really weigh and examine the truth seriously. Uh, Father, thanks that you are the truth in your Son, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life that we can know what is true because of him. Thank you for all the proofs that you've given us and the evidence, the eyewitness evidence that, Lord Jesus, you, uh, you came to the earth, you died, you rose again, that you're the Son of God. We put our faith in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, 
visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.